I'm going to pick it up in verse 12, chapter 20. Not too far, but pertinent. And it happened when Benadab heard this message as he and the kings were drinking at the command post that he said to his servants, get ready. And they got ready to attack the city. I know that I did hit this verse, but it's a verse that bears, I think, appropriateness nowadays. The world in its tensions and its threats militarily and what's going to happen, we're going to blow each other up. The world in its tensions right now is also in full party mode. Yet one group that's cheering the conclusion of a baseball season, you got another group that's now going to be cheering for the conclusion of a football season. They rally us. In some homes, obviously, not all homes, it's a wonderful opportunity to be athletically engaged, spend time with your friends and families. But for others, it is the means by which they live for and they've made all of their investments. They've checked the portfolios of all the players. They've learned how to call them with accolades the best of men and they've learned to degrade them to the least of men based on the performance of how are they on that diamond, how worthy on that gridiron. Bets being made, lives being only for the moment of the victory, while essentially the world burns and the tailgaters are partying down. But there's only so much that you can have of your fill. Benadab right now being preparing for combat to move against Ahab is slugging them down. Men that should have the clarity of mind and the purpose of victory will enter into this field of combat as drunkards. No problem. They can handle it. And that's what some people do believe about life. I can handle it. Get ready. They better get ready. Because the confrontation that they don't know is greater than simply Ahab. It's God Almighty who Benadab is picking a war with. And it will not go well with him or his men. Israel truly on the rise again and on the scene and forefront of the Middle Eastern nations. They do not like the fact that a hawk was elected as prime minister. My opinion doesn't matter. The opinion that matters is what God says concerning his people. And all of those nations may be conspiring, as scriptures tell us they will, against Israel, but no nation shall prevail against God's people. Our eyes and our prayers should be towards them, for there is a working out of the enemy to cause demise and destruction. There are attacks that are being now planned and formatted for that. Right now we have a scenario in which a political aggressor is doing the very same thing against a guy who actually is running his country very poorly. 
Suddenly a prophet, it says in verse 13, approached Ahab, king of Israel, saying, Thus says the Lord, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will deliver it into your hand today, and you shall know that I am Lord. It would seem that God, having ample time to evaluate the heart of Ahab, would have said, it's over, it's done, this is my word to you. Tonight, you will be taken captive. And it astounds us that God would show such patience toward Ahab, but we do know this, that there are still two kings yet to be put in place before the one that has been even anointed by Elijah will take his proper place. Two evil kings remain to be put in place, even as one will be positioned to take the place. God's patience is that it runs a course, and there's a course that is being run even today in our nation and in Israel as a nation. And we never want to go against Israel. Church, never do you ever want to buy into that. One of the best moves our government made was when Britain abdicated protecting what had been put in place in 1948. And there was an embargo that was put before Israel on behalf of what was the seemingly projected sympathies for the Palestinians. The Britons began to see their hold both loosen and Truman, as you might recall, was the one that made certain that supplies would be delivered to Israel. It was one of his greatest and yet not so noted executive orders. Israel would have supply, for they had been given back the land that was theirs. So as Ahab is hearing this, what is his heart saying? To hear from this prophet that you might know I am Lord, what does it take for a nation even such as ours, a great nation, but who in under 300 years seemingly has moved in such lockstep order of secularism and humanism moving ourselves away from Christendom, how in the world could we stand a chance of rectifying and changing things when so much has happened to us in so short a time historically? God knows. But God said through this messenger, you let him know. By this, he will know that I am Lord. By this... All neighboring communities will know, I am Lord. The odds of you making it through this attack, formidable, what, 32, 34 kings, as a confederacy, as a force contingent to obliterate Israel. And God says, they're going to know, and you're going to know that I'm Lord. And so Abraham, and so Ahab said, by whom? 
And he said, thus says the Lord. By the young leaders, this is important, grab this. By the young leaders of the provinces, then he said, who will set the battle in order? And he answered, you. This is a next generation picture. See, his mind could have raced towards all of the things that he has heard in times past of how God interceded, came in to the one that was weaker than, had no chance of. All of these things could have been going through his mind. David, even as a young 16-year-old battling a giant, all of the things that he would have historically been able to say, ah, maybe it's that way. Maybe it's, maybe it's what Joshua had where the priests were put back in order. They did a triumphal march around a city seven times and the walls came down. But the Lord says, this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it through the next generation. These young ones who are coming up are princes of the land. And I'm going to raise them up in this time to have the victory. Ah, okay, who's going to manage them? You are. See, that's, that's an older generation knitted with the next generation. And it means until our generation fades, we pour into the young generation. And that young generation will be equipped by God to carry on the mission of making known his word, to have others understand his precepts, to be able to sing the priestly songs in which God gains the victory over the heart that has collapsed, over the mind that is confused. When you listen and when you sing the songs of worship that we do, just one church among thousands in our land, we are making a connection to the heart of God who has inspired the poetry and given the melody and established those who come up as leaders anointed to invite us to the throne of grace. It's the princes. Many of us who are older say, I feel young at heart. Great, we should. But the bottom line is, our day is more, more closely limited now because of our age heard this great recording of billy graham who had a four-minute closure on a crusade and i was going to play it might even try to but it was awesome in terms of him speaking about the brevity of life and that each one of us have seconds and minutes and hours to satisfy a fulfillment of the years that god has given to us but it is only by exception that a man and a woman exceed 70 years on the average of what we've been appointed to live. That means that any of us that surpass 70, that is a grace note of God. It is not the norm. It is something that he's doing. And I believe that it's with all we have in the balance of time that has been overtime for us, we pour into the next generation, the young. And we need to make certain that they are aware that where they belong is here, not in the encampment of the enemy, not in vain philosophies, not mired down in drunkenness, 
The scriptures would also say the, the expressive conditions of the culture towards being lascivious, caught up in passions of the flesh. Galatian outlines most of those things which are pervasive in our culture. Princes of the land, those who are appointed by God, this is where you belong. Your generation belongs in the house of the Lord. You need to teach your generation that any place else other than this place, the house of God, the place of worship, the investment of spiritual gifts that have been endued to you by God, this is where it works to be effectual when out there we go to work. And that's the picture here that we see. It's a great picture of a formidable enemy, what we have in Satan and the culture. And even that we battle with in our own minds, pride. It has to be dealt with. Proverbs 16, verse 18 is a classic verse on pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride is recognized by the fact that, one, you can assume it goes before destruction. We know the sound of destruction. There's something that we sense about something that's being torn apart, dismantled. We know. And we have sensitivities that make us responsible when those inclinations become irrefutable, we need to be able to say, I heard that coming, I saw that coming. I was aware in my heart that that was coming. And a haughty spirit, the difference between haughtiness and pride is that the one activates on that which had not been put in check. Pride is what we all deal with. That's why every now and then it's good to get a lecture. It's good to get a stern face. It's good to be corrected by his word, by someone who cares. It's good for your soul. But haughtiness is when that was not dealt with. And what it did do was manifest itself and then began to be established in the protocols that you forged in your life and dismissed from what God said are his precepts. Galatians 5, which is where I was alluding to earlier, verses 16 through 21, you can read the entire litany of the manifestations of the flesh, of what it desires to do as spirit and flesh war against one another. You can see it. You can find yourself in it. And if you found yourself free of it, it means congratulations. You're living a spirit-filled life, which the word tells us then has the manifestation of fruit in your life. That's a good thing. So where is this going right now? God's giving this corrupt king an opportunity to see victory through the young and perhaps to be re-inspired so that demise, which right now has been forecast, for his foolishness might be hopped over. 
Even when prophecy exists as something that will be satisfied, God leaves the element of his mercy and grace in place that with patience a person can turn and not burn. And though that's become a clever phrase, it represents a consequence which is absolutely certain. If Aaron Carter had not repented before his death at the age of 34, then there is no alternative left for him. He has sealed his eternal destination by declining the invitation that I believe no doubt was available to him. He had heard it. He had seen it. He'd watched from afar what it's like for people to move in and out of this building. Not a Colosseum where thousands would worship him, but where maybe several hundred would come to worship God. What did he do with the information? Did he have enough of the information in which, in one fleeting moment, one remaining breath, he was able to say, Forgive me, Lord. I desire to accept you into my heart. To even be able to think it in the terms of God being able to translate it, to whisper it. But he will be mourned as many Hollywood celebrities will mourn him. What a tragic loss. What a wonderful soul. What a great contribution he made to music. I cannot validate that at all. He came and he went from probably the age of 13 to 34, his life has nothing to show for it. But for a body that at one time his soul and spirit occupied, that was intended to be God's, and somewhere he chose not to be a prince of the Lord, but rather to be united in some manifestation with the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan's goal. To coerce, to be able to subject to vice, somewhere he missed it. Why is Ahab getting more choices, more chances? We don't know how many choices or chances that Aaron Carter had, but his brother Nick now has to be contemplating another sorrowful loss in his family. And what is he going to do? He was a backstreet boy. Is that where he is going to say, my legacy rests and I will fall? Or will he choose to be one who dismisses that part of his legacy of fame and fortune to say it's time for me to squander not one more minute you, you're going to do it, Ahab. I'm giving you princes. The victory is going to be with them. You're going to be leading them. See, very often, as well, we say, well, how does that guy get a shot? What has he done so good? What's he got as proof and evidence of that? Skeptics. Because God will give people a shot who maybe in that will turn to him. And lead. 
He mustered in verse 15 the young leaders of the provinces, and there were 232. And after them, he mustered all the people, all the children of Israel, 7,000. So even if you read those numbers, and you're talking about a battle, not too impressive, which is indeed how God very often works. Not to impress the world with how much power he can release through people and populace. But the few that would say, I'm willing, I'm ready to go, I'll do it. With you, God, who can stop us? That's a picture. They went out at noon. Meanwhile, Benadad and the 32 kings helping him were getting drunk at the command post. There it tells you what they're doing again. So in these days, at our command post, which is here, it's in your devotional times, it is in your vocations in which you, walking into those places, are being scrutinized, are being pondered, perhaps criticized. It's your command post. Be sober in spirit, girded in truth, ready to give an answer for your hope. The young leaders of the province went out first, and then Benadad sent out a patrol, and they told him, saying, men are coming out of Samaria. That was the capital. That's where Ahab reigned. And so he said, if they have come out for peace, take them alive. And if they have come out for war, take them alive. Why? Well, if he can take them alive under terms of peace, or if he can take them alive in terms of combat, he is able to turn them into his slaves. That's basically it. Much more convenient, if you would, to slay them all. God's idea about slaves was entirely different. He wanted to liberate and free them. Even in the allowance that happened, that was God's deal because he said, remember, you were slaves in Egypt. I expect you to have an entirely different attitude coming out of bondage. And don't you put somebody else in bondage under you. As you had enough of it, I've had enough of it. I don't operate that way. You liberate. You free people up from oppression, from vice, from the control of Satan over their lives. And so this is evident that that's what this guy wanted, more minions, more that he could control for a world that he wanted to own. And so Satan is still doing that. He's controlling people through media. He's controlling people through vice. He is a control freak. That's what he wants to do, to take you out of being dependent upon the Lord, making you believe that you can have accomplishment and purpose in your life being independent of God, and then to ultimately turn the contract of your life over to himself because you've signed everything away. Neglecting, negating God and church and family. Take them alive. Then these young leaders, verse 19, of the provinces went out of the city with the army which followed them, and each one killed his man. So the Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them, and Benadab, the king of Syria, escaped on a horse with the cavalry. And the king of Israel went out and attacked the horses and chariots, killed the Syrians with a great slaughter. And the prophet came to the king of Israel and said to him, Go strengthen yourself, take note, and see what you should do. For in the spring of the year, 
the king of Syria will come up against you. I close here because this is a great line to close on. When the Lord has given you victory, which you do not deserve, but which you obviously in perhaps your time of fear, realizing that without God you're nothing, the Lord is saying through this prophet, prepare yourself. There's going to be a time when in the springtime there will be another potential formidable army raised up against you. And I like the language here, which is simply in this. Go strengthen yourself. Take note and see what you should do. That is a word for some people, perhaps all of us. See what you should do. Spring's coming. See what you should do as the enemy will make another attempt in the victory that today may be yours. See what you will do. War's coming. How are you going to handle the next battle? God gets the credit for this, but God says, I give you an advance notice. This is not a game. You're a warrior to be in prayer, to be in the word. You're to be wise and discerning. I warn you, spring is coming. There is an adversary after you planning on how in the victory that now is yours, what can he do to thwart God's purpose in your life? So you get clean, you turn from sin, you say enough of testing that. I can't afford it and I've already proven pretty vulnerable. I've lived in the consequence of decisions made independent on my own and not dependent on God and to be his own. Lord, we ask for your blessings. That is, this is where we're at presently. We are able to say to you personally, thank you for revival. Thank you for turns of events in which you turn us around. Thank you for giving us opportunity of knowing that we rightly deserved to be judged, perhaps to be behind bars, to have perhaps even be in the grave. And you, in your mercy and grace, saved us. Thank you that in these times right now, which are both formidable but full of great hope and promise, of the consummation of the ages in which the church will be taken up and out. And you will settle that which remains of a world that was rejecting your son. But we want to just commission this part to you. We also want to be those who, in the rendering of the tithe and offerings, say to you, Lord, we love you. You are worthy of the investment that we make. For where our treasure is, there our hearts will be also. Bless us in this closing song. Bless hearts today that may need to be deciding, am I a prince of God, governed by him? Or am I being governed by the prince of the power of the air? Just 
a human minion for Satan's exploits and ultimately my demise. Lord, thank you for hearing us. Thank you for changing us, making a way for us. In Jesus' name, amen.